Birds always throw me, right? I'm, I'm, in one way, I'm really glad that's the last time I'm going to use that bumper, so we're going to finish it up today, because the birds are like, well, I don't know, I just... Um, anyway, before we get into Abraham, good morning, glad you're here, hi tent, hi online folks. A um, couple of things, a couple of in-house things that I'd like to do with you. So first is this, if you're a 640 disciple and you're attending the 930 service, and that's your service of choice, and it's not just a service of necessity. So I understand the small kids, student ministries, 9.30 is your hour, that's what you gotta do. But for those of you, this is one of just an option. You could easily move and do 11.15, except when the Niners have the early game, I understand. But other than that, um, you could do this for us. We're, we're asking you please to go ahead and start migrating towards the 11.15 service if you can, if you can. Last week, um, everybody got an extra hour of sleep and we were jam-packed at 9.30 and so we're not ready for a third service yet. We don't have the volunteer base of coming back yet. So we're going to have to try to even them out a little bit. So if you could move to the 11.15, that'd be awesome. Please. Thanks. Okay, second. Um, about the middle of, middle of September, we started a campaign called Giving Good. And giving good was an opportunity for us to pay off the remainder of the debt up for the jack-in-the-box lot that we bought. And we said we want to do it at 75-25, 75% pay off the debt, and 25% go to um, digging wells, because we didn't want our Advent conspiracy digging wells stuff around the world to suffer. And so we thought, well, this is a way where we can do it. So let me just give you an update, because this is totally exciting. This is what y'all did. Take a look. So, okay, so like, uh, w yeah, the word I was thinking wasn't wow, but that's better. That's, I was like, wow, that is fantastic. So here's what's going on. So if you've already prayed and you've intended to give to giving good, but you just haven't yet, you can still do that. What it's now, it's 100% wells. So the, the loan is, the loan's paid off, right? And so what we said, we said we want to do 75-25 until we got to a million. And then when we got to a million, everything above a million, which we didn't even think there was any way we would get really above a million, which shows how little faith I had in you. I apologize. But um, everything that's given from now on will be 100% wells. And uh, you feel free to do that and, and give if you feel led. Thank you so much for those of you who have uh, moved into this. It's awesome. This, I... I I don't know why I'm surprised. I, I'm, I really apologize to you that I thought we'd do it, but I thought we'd do it like at 11.30 on December 31st, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just thought it would be like a last minute thing and um, which I had that much confidence. But anyway, this is great. Thank you so much. Um, the elders and the staff are just so humbled by your response. 
and your generosity. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, working our way through Abraham. This is the wrap-up week, and the whole time um, that Abraham's been going on, I've been thinking about gifts. It's kind of inside of David Tish's book and these, the gifts that God gives Abraham and the gifts that we have and all of these kinds of things. And during this series for now several, several weeks, we've been nine weeks, I think this is the ninth week in Abraham, and we wrap it up. I've been thinking about the best gifts I've ever received in my life. Now, I've had lots of gifts that are phenomenal um, motorcycles and bicycle trips, not to mention the great art that's hanging on my refrigerator in my home. But behind me are the three most cherished gifts I've ever received. This is a 1974 um, Martin D35, which means nothing to most of you, but to some it will mean something. It was given to me in 1979 by five men, um, Scott Coy, Chris Cooper, Joe Longineau, John Hacker, and <laughs> Bill Bush. These five men helped disciple me. Some of them discipled me. Some of them I did ministry with. And I had a little Chinese um, guitar that was made in China. It was falling apart. And on my, for graduation from college, those five men pulled their resources together and bought me this. And it's, it, it was so meaningful, I couldn't even really think of anything to say. But this guitar, for 14 years I was a worship pastor, and this guitar did that whole stint with me. And it's now been passed down to my son Josh, and he plays it. The second gift is, this is a 2001 Santa Cruz a guitar company guitar. It's an FS fingerstyle guitar. It has spruce tops and Indian rosewood sides and backs, and it's the so much better guitar than I am player. But my wife gave me this. Um, when we finished our time at Santa Cruz Bible, as a celebration to, of coming and becoming a lead pastor, and she, she got this for me um, uh, with some help from Richard Hoover, which is the owner of Santa Cruz Guitar. He gave us a deal, and she got this for me. And um, it's just, if, if the house goes up in flames, I'm gonna run for, the, for this, you know? <laughs> This is not in my house, so I, I'm not worried about it. This is the third gift. This is a, a, um, this is a cigar humidor. Um, I know. Shut up, okay? <laughs> I like cigars. I decided when I'm 60, I'm going to start smoking cigars, and that's what I do. So if that, if that throws you for a loop, send me an email, and I won't read it, okay? <laughs> but here you go. This, this was made. This is, um, um, let's see, it is... Maple is the, is the light wood, and what is the dark wood? I can't remember. You don't care. But it was made by my son, Josh, and the unique thing about it is that it was made without a single power tool, not even a sander. Everything was hand-sanded, and there are five joints in each corner that had to be hand-cut and shaped. It took him a couple of months to make this gift for me, and um, you, it's not for sale. You know what I mean? You, you, you may have something like that too. And it's just, they're just the greatest gifts that keep giving, keep bringing me joy. Just telling you the story is like, I'm giving you more information you really want, but I, I just, just love to be able to, they've deeply touched my life. And you have those kinds of gifts. These gifts that be, have become great gifts. 
Well, I want to, with you, to wrap up the Abraham series, I want to go over Abraham's ending in, in Genesis chapter 25. It's, it's something that if you're, unless you're super familiar with Abraham, you're going to learn something about him that you never knew, never knew in Genesis 25. We just don't talk about his ending very much. I want to talk about that. I want to show you how if an understanding, if you've been following along with us these nine weeks, it's going to enhance your understanding of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, and it's also going to enhance your understanding of what's written about Jesus Christ in the New Testament, because Abraham becomes this great teaching point several times in the New Testament. We'll have the opportunity to think about what this might look like and, and then take communion together, as Kayvon said. So let me pray for us. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 25. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather. Promise of your presence. The desire of your will to move in our lives, to bring not only encouragement, but growth, and in some instances, conviction, in some instances, just a little bit more information that we might understand just how much you love us and the extent to which you've gone to for it. Use this time, please, for our good, your glory, in Jesus' name. We were in Genesis 25 the last time we gathered, and we took a look at that um, the challenge and the test of Abraham where he's challenged to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And then as you get through, chapter 23 talks about the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife. There's actually more space given to Sarah's death than there is to Abraham's death. Chapter 24, if you want to go back and look at it, it's a beautiful love story, what's going on with Isaac. And, and um, it's a full, long chapter actually about how he and Rebecca get together as husband and wife. And then we get to chapter 25, and it says this. Abraham married another wife. Really? Whose name was Keturah. The name means incense, or some may, may think it, made, it means frankincense, or sweet-smelling. She gave birth. Remember now, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and he was said then to be dried up. He and Sarah were too old. She died at about 135. He maybe married Keturah at 140. And he, she gave birth to Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua. Then it goes on to speak of not only his sons, but his grandsons and even great-grandsons. Um, remember Genesis 17, the promise from God. In Genesis 12 and 15, he talked about Abraham being the father of a great nation. In Genesis 17, more than three times, God says to him, you will be the father of what? Many nations. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. Dedan's descendants were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Lumites, maybe. Midian's sons were Ephah, Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. 
And these are all the descendants of Abraham through Keturah. Keturah gives him six sons after Isaac and Ishmael. We never hear of these sons. We, uh, this one time passage here um, and one other time in scriptures, we hear about the sons of Keturah. Goes on to say that Abraham gave everything he owned to his son Isaac, which is unusual. That's not how inheritance is normally given. There's normally a double portion to the oldest and an equal split among the rest. But that's not what he did. But watch this. But before he died, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines. So, last I checked, that's plural. So there are even sons that Abraham had that we don't know. And he sent them off to a land in the east, away from Isaac. Now, just for, just, this, the passage doesn't say this. This is based on nothing other than Clifford having too much time. But her, the mother's name meant incense. And the sons were sent off to the east. Anybody connecting the dots? Some men will show up later from the east bearing gifts of frankincense. I don't know. <laughs> but it's fun to think it might be tied all together. Abraham lived for 175 years. And he died at a ripe old age, having lived a long and satisfying life. The words there talk about he was pleasant, it was happy, it was merry. Abraham lived not only long, but with inner shalom, there's Kavon's word, inner peace and contentment. He breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death, as we all will, unless Christ returns. His sons Isaac and Ishmael, now they come back into the picture, they buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre. Mamre is just south of Bethlehem, up in the mountains, just south. Very important part, um, place. Ten times in the Bible we see Mamre. The tombs of the patriarchs are there. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and maybe Joseph even too, are all buried in this area of Mamre. Here's a picture of the great oak. Other places in the scriptures it talks about they gathered at the great oak of Mamre. And here's a picture in uh, 1912 of that oak. Here's another picture of it in 2008. You can see it's dead. They've got it propped up. Here's another picture in the same time frame that shows this great oak. And then in 2019, the tree collapsed, and it's no longer there to see. So we, have, we know exactly. This is historical narrative. We know exactly where um, this happened and what was going on. This was the field, and it goes on to explain that this is the field 
of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, that Abraham bought. And it actually tells the story of how Abraham got the, the field three different times in the scriptures. It's, it's like an overtelling of a not very important, doesn't seem important to us kind of a thing. And when we look at this now, and as we try to begin to wrap it up, as you back away from this great story of Abraham, if you look, I, first, fascinating that he had six sons that are named that we didn't know anything really about. We never hear of the sons of Keturah. Um, I don't know why, mostly because those uh, sons go on to become the lineage of many, many nations. Um, some of them are around and a, really a pain in the rear for Israel for a long time. God has chosen to go through Isaac and that that will be the line that he blesses the world with. But he still used Abraham to actually fulfill this promise of many nations. But as you start to take a look at this and you, you back away a little bit, you realize that the story of Abraham is critical to understanding the character of God. The character of God in the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures is primarily just three stories. That's more than this. This is a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's, it's, if you get these three, you get it. And then there's going to be more to it. So the great images of the character of God first is Abraham. Abraham and the test of Isaac and all those things, we see that God is relational. He wants to have relationship with us, that he's going to make provision for us. And Abraham's story shows us that in Genesis. The second great narrative of God's character is the Passover. The Passover is where God will step in and rescue from death and, and cover over what's going on in the world. And this is God's character as well for his people. And then finally, the Day of Atonement, which is a great feast that has to do with the forgiveness of sins for individuals and for the nation of Israel, happening on an annual basis. And it screams to us God's willingness, if we will be involved in the process, his willingness to forgive confessed sins. His, his quickness to do that. And, and as you see this, this image now that's on the screen for you, you realize that the character of God is told. One of the great narratives that tells God's, God's story is this story of Abraham. Now, why am I so sure it's a big deal? Here's why I'm so sure it's a big deal. Because there are three times in the New Testament scriptures when writers of the New Testament will try to figure out a way to explain why Christ came and died and what he's accomplished. And every time, guess who's involved? Come on. Abraham, great guess. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives the longest discourse, the longest speech in Acts by far. And there's some pretty long ones, but Stephen's is the longest by far. And it, it begins, he begins to point to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus has just been crucified and resurrected and ascended to heaven. Stephen is giving this great argument in Acts chapter 7. And he begins just with laying out exactly what's going on with, with Abraham being one of the examples. Brothers and fathers... Listen to me, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. And he said, go, come into this land that I'll show you. 
And he begins with Abraham and the story unfolding in, this, in, in chapter 7. And it, this story goes so well that it shuts the mouth of all of Stephen's opposition, which caused what? A great rock concert where Stephen was killed. Then you go to, you go to Romans chapter 4. And when you get to Romans chapter 4, basically what's happening in the first three chapters is that Paul is laying out a legal argument to explain why Christ had to die and what he's accomplished for us. And why that is available not just to the Jews, but now to all people. And he goes through and he quotes Old Testament scriptures in the first two and a half chapters and says that no one's going to make it. No one, not anyone is going to make it based on their own efforts and their own righteousness. But something has happened. Paul calls it justification. It's this wonderful concept that God intervened on our behalf and took the perfect lamb and sacrificed him on our behalf and accomplished justification, righteousness, declared righteous, not experiencing it. we got to still work on that, but declared righteous before a holy God. And we, that happens apart from the law through faith in Christ for all people by grace alone at great cost to God himself. And he, he lays all of this out. And by the time you get to the end of chapter 3, he said, this is the premise of my argument. Now, exhibit A, chapter 4. Exhibit A. Guess who chapter 4 is all about the whole chapter. Come on, guess. Very good. Very good. You guys are smart, man. I know. Wait, you're going to embarrass 1115. They're just going to struggle with this the whole time. And it's going to happen right here in chapter 4 that then Paul is going to take exhibit A and say, see, you cannot be justified with, um, by your works. Abraham wasn't even justified by works. You're not justified by circumcision. Abraham was justified way before circumcision. What justifies someone is faith. That faith is what brings righteousness. And that's what God is asking for us. So in Acts... And then in Romans, and then when you go back all the way to in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11, in the great hall of faith where things are being explained, it's here that faith, when faith needs to be explained, the greatest chunk of the chapter goes to who? Abraham, you're on it now, folks, you're on it. And it says there in that chapter that there is a way of faith. There is a place for faith. There is a timing involved. There's an object of faith. And then we're asked to take a leap of faith. And this is laid out for you. You cannot, you cannot grasp the character of God in his heart for you. You will struggle and say things like, that Old Testament God just seems too mean to me. I don't like him. Not if you spend time with Abraham and what you learn through him you will begin to realize that God has been unfolding the exact plan all along and used Abraham to point as a type of what God would do through his son Christ. Now, what, what makes a great gift? Well, several things. One is when a gift is perfect because it never stops giving. Each of these gifts in my life continue to bring me great joy and have accomplished 
more than I ever thought they would when I received them. It's also when a gift is given before you ever earn it, before you could ever deserve it, even just a little bit, that makes a gift great. When it's given and you know you don't deserve it, like, I don't deserve, I mean, any old box would keep my cigars. Any old guitar will allow me to kind of fight off arthritis and keep playing. And then when the gift given is so effective that it brings almost a peace to the one who gets the gift, you're about to go into the season of gift giving. So many of the gifts we give don't measure up to even good. I'm going to quote David Tish because he gets such a kick out of it when he gets quoted. <laughs> but he said on page 263 of the book that's been guiding us through, some gifts are so good, they demand a response. Some gifts are, are so good that they pull out of us what we didn't even know we had in us. I want to suggest to you that the greatest gift, the greatest gift that mankind has ever storied and that some of us have ever received is the gift, the perfect gift of Jesus Christ. There are some that are listening to this time together, perhaps in the room and perhaps online or maybe outside in the tent. And last week when we talked about it, you were challenged by it, but we said that faith involves a laying down, a laying down of yourself from the first position of your life. And that the provision of Jesus needs to rescue you from yourself. And what a great way to wrap up Abraham, a series about faith and loving God. Then today, today you declare, I don't get it all, which you never will. I don't understand it. I'm certainly not worthy, which is the point. But you lay down your life to Christ. You say yes to what he's done on your behalf on Calvary's cross. It might be that some of you are looking for provision. You've come to the end of your resources. And God is not a genie. He's not a, like a cosmic Santa, but he will come alongside you and give you strength to endure some of the lack of resources and maybe even provide resources too. What a great way to wrap up, Abraham. And then some of you, some of you are distracted by your behavior. There's things in your life 
And you know they're not supposed to be a, part, a regular part of your life. I'm not talking about your, everybody in here makes mistakes, but I'm talking about you guys, some of you have consistently surrendered to a stronghold in your life and you need forgiveness for that. You need strength. God saved you, it says in Ephesians, by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. And he not only saves us by this grace, but listen, men and women, he continues to save us. By grace. Throughout the scriptures, when we talk about what it means to walk by faith, it's pretty interesting that the the most common metaphor used is walk. It's a walk of faith. The life of faith is to walk in faith. Paul, over and over again in in his letters to the churches, say, men and women, walk in a manner worthy of the faith you've been called to. And the interesting thing about faith or this walk of faith, is that it's one transition after another. It's one vulnerable point after another. If you think about it, each time as you take a step forward, when you've got one foot in the air, you're incredibly vulnerable. I mean, the the weakest person in the room can knock me sideways when I've got one foot in the air like this. And yet one foot in the air is what walking requires. And then I'm suddenly stable again. But if I want to move forward again, I've got to go vulnerable again. I don't know what your faith looks like. My faith looks like a constant state of uncomfortableness. Of God asking me to do, say, be, give things I'd rather not do, say, be, or give. And I have a tendency to step back and say, I've walked enough. And yet he continues to call me. Pick the foot up, dude. Pick the foot up. Step forward. When we started the series of Abraham, Dana reintroduced me. She had found an old Rich Mullins CD, not CD, but his MP3s now. And if you're familiar with Rich Mullins, he was a Christian artist. He's been gone for a while. But he was significant in my life, in my Christian life, and remained a a force that I listened to for over 10 years, which is not usual for me in artists. And there's a song that he sings about faith called Sometimes by Step. And it says this in the second verse. It says, sometimes I think of Abraham. That got my attention because that's what I'm doing. And then it said this, how one star he saw had been lit for me. That when Abraham was challenged to look up at the stars in the sky, the same stars we look at, They were illuminated, and God used that example to say, that's what the the kingdom of God will look like in the future. One of those stars was lit for you. 
One of those stars was lit for me. I'm going to sing the second verse in the chorus of that song. And as I do, I want to challenge you. What does the walk of faith require of you today? Do you need to lay down your life to Christ? Do so. The room is full of folks that have done that. We'll tell you it's the best decision we ever made. Is there provision that you need in your life? He says we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He wants to know them. He wants to be involved with them. He wants to hear you express dependence on that. And then is there forgiveness that you need? Something in your life that just, you just can't seem to say no to? I promise you can. If you invite the Spirit of God into that process, I promise you can. While I'm singing, first I want you to notice just how good this guitar sounds. Can you hear it yet? And then I want to add, just ask if you'll be honest enough with God to say, where's my next step? Sometimes I think of Abraham And one star he saw had been lit for me He was a stranger in this land I am not no less than he And on this road to righteousness Sometimes the sky and climb can seem so steep I may falter in my step, but never beyond your reach, oh God, you are my God. I will ever praise you, oh God, you are my God. I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning Learn to walk in your ways And step by step you lead me I will follow you all of my days I will follow you all of my days Follow you all of my days And step by step you lead me I'll follow you all of my days One of the ways that we get to do this, to experience it really on a regular basis, is by celebrating the Lord's table. We practice an open table here, which means that if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take part in it. 
If you're not, you don't want to take part in it because taking part in it celebrates the death, burial, and resurrection of the risen Christ. It proclaims it to all who see us do it. And so it's bad for your soul to take part in something you don't really believe. And so we would only caution you, not because we're trying to keep you out. Quite the contrary, we're begging you to come in. But we won't, don't want you to do something that would be bad for your soul. Those of you who have embraced Christ, if you haven't already, while the worship team is leading us, you can come forward. There's some tables at the back too, and you can get um, these little packets that we're now using because of COVID. And you can spend time asking again. I hope you've already asked and it's already crystal clear, but maybe even again, what does my faith require of me today? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, just today. What, what does my faith require? And surrender that. Surrender that to the God who will rescue you, provide for you, give forgiveness to you. His character is consistent throughout the ages and demonstrated most fully in Christ. Lay it at his feet. Lay it at his feet. And then when you feel ready, you can take the elements on your own. Anytime during the song, don't wait on someone to tell. Just a warning, there's two layers to peel back. Do them one at a time or you'll spill. Let me pray for us. Your patience with us, God, is so amazing. Your provision for us is so complete. Your grace extended towards us, so undeserved. In every category, what you have done for us is a great gift. The greatest of gifts. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would lead us in such a way that each of us will understand what our faith requires of us today. Just today, what are you asking? And then, as your children take the elements, will we do so with the recognition that sin confessed, doubts discussed, are now wiped away as clean and as fresh as snow. And that we celebrate when we take the elements of the relationship that we have in you. Help us to love you, God, and be loyal even when it costs us. Help us to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. Help us to seek and be doers of justice. And may we learn to expect you to be good even when life is hard. 
And thank you for Abraham. The lessons learned because of his life. Now use this time for your glory, please. In Jesus' name, amen.